Amen. All right, so tonight uh, we are in Revelation, and uh, Revelation chapter 1. I didn't get as far as I intended last week, so we're going to finish up that outline. If you have, if you don't have an outline, I, I have uh, last week's outline up here. Anybody need an outline? Okay. Uh, man, Rex, you, it's good to see you too, praying for you, brother. He's going to help you out. If you need more, uh, we'll get somebody on the... Uh, on the copy machine and run a couple more. Um, so Amy's not here tonight. My daughter Elizabeth has got uh, an ear infection. We thought she had strep, but it's just an ear infection. So she's coming back. I don't know if she'll be here or not. But if not, Jesse, you know how to use the copier? Yeah. Who in here knows? Jeff does. So we. Don't, I don't know if we'll need him or not, but if we do, Jeff can execute on the copy machine so thank you jeff he's our volunteer yes ma'am i didn't mention adopt a street but can i or yeah i can so uh that we have an adopt a street uh program i mentioned it on a sunday morning two weeks three weeks ago now but uh we're uh we've taken on a couple streets about 300 houses is uh, so they gave us a good area uh, the different churches in the community are, are going to, for the next six months, go out, or within a six-month window, whenever they choose to start, uh, go out and just uh, systematically reach out to these neighborhoods uh, and share the love of Christ. And in our case, we've got lots of things to offer um, in the normal course of our first season of ministry anyway, first couple of seasons. So we'll be doing that along with it and uh, target those areas. And so you're, everybody's welcome and wanted to go out and uh, and uh, see Pat Lee is there anything else, Pat, I need to mention about that? Or Pam? Okay. So you'll be coming out with the schedule is what I guess eventually. Okay, so stay tuned and we'll have when we're ready to get the, the dates and everything on that, we'll uh, start announcing that. So we'll want to hit that every month for six months. So probably starting, I'm assuming, in February is when we'll probably be doing that or in, they may wait till march i don't know i don't want to box you guys in but they'll they'll give us more information on when we're going to launch into that and uh by definitely by march because we're going to have some taking it to the streets opportunities anyway so yes ma'am okay are we going to do that online too Okay, check with Luke tomorrow on that and uh, make sure that we have that up. We need a QR code for that, and we need it on the website so people can easily get to it. And so um, if you could remember to hit him up about that, we'll, we'll get that where it needs to go. Now that we know, if you got it, if you got it scheduled to that, you know, to that degree where you're signing up, we can, we can help with that. All right, so I need to sign up myself. So, okay, so we're in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. And uh, let's just go ahead and just start off uh, tonight once again by looking at the text. And we've already covered, uh, you know, chapter 1, 1 through 8. So tonight we're picking up really 7 through 20, the last part of that. And we're not actually going to get all the way through uh, down to verse 20 anyway. But uh, at least I want to kind of look at where we're going in regard to the revelation of Jesus Christ given to the Apostle John by Jesus and then therefore given to us through the book of Revelation. Um, as we look at the text, let's just actually let's just pick up one through 
uh, 8, and then we'll, we'll pause it at verse 8 and then keep going. Revelation 1, 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God <clears throat> gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all the things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and uh, they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, uh, for the time is at hand. Okay, so let me pause there. So we see, we already saw in those first uh, three verses that there is a is a, um, an, a, a, a a point where he points out the testimony of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the testimony of Jesus Christ in Revelation 19.10 is the spirit of prophecy. So what God says uh, is is what's going to come to pass, and then... There is a blessing to those that read and hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. So this is a book that God promises to bless us as we read it and we keep it and understand that the time is at hand. So verse 4, John to the seven churches, this is who it's addressed to, which are in Asia, modern-day Turkey. Grace be unto you, peace from him that, that <clears throat> which is and which was and which is to come. And from the seven spirits which were before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here we see our title. Now we pick up. Uh, we are kings and priests because he's washed us in his blood. Now we pick up the text in verse 7, and this is what we talked about last week. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and we really never got much past that. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We'll talk about that coming up and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Uh, what was what thou seest write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia and unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So those are your seven churches that were in Asia, in modern-day Turkey, um, uh, that this epistle was to be given to through the Apostle John. Verse 12, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. 
and that'll be important, but we won't get to that till next week. Write the thing, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars. What are those seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand? And the seven golden candlesticks. Well, the seven stars are the angels uh, of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. All right. So, you have if you haven't read a chapter of your Bible, you've just read one today. All right. So we feel uh, blessed about that. So we talked about you know the importance of uh, last week of knowing uh, who Jesus is. Oh, I don't. Let me turn this on. There we go. So. Uh, this study is called What We Need to Know Before We Go. And we want to make sure that we, uh, you know, understand the revelation of Jesus Christ so we can prepare ourselves to partake in his fulfillment. And in the next slide next week, you'll see as the bride of Christ. It's really about understanding who we are. Jesus is coming to redeem us, and uh, and he wants us to be privy to this information. So uh, it's a very relevant book, and we should increase our understanding of who God is so He can so we can... Um, uh, intensify our urgency in ministering the gospel in these last days. So that's certainly what we should be doing. Uh, we saw that uh, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. We need to let him in. So last week we just kind of we just kind of in way of review we, we recovered the this part is on the front of your sheet. So you guys should already have that. Oops. Uh, we saw the revelation of Jesus Christ, the structure of revelation, the accuracy of revelation, the blessing of revelation, the audience of revelation. The teacher of Revelation and the hope of Revelation in our first session, and so that was the like the four-page handout with appendix. And so, um, for those that were just wanting that for review, that's there. You can get all of these outlines up on, off of the website as well, on, on our listen page under the Revelation study. Uh, and so they are they are up there under the under the sermon title. Uh, and so <clears throat> we saw that uh, he is coming. Behold, he is coming. We saw that, uh, behold, the clouds, right? And so uh, those are the things that we saw in that first session. Uh, behold his hands and his side. Behold the coverage. Behold the accuracy of the scripture. And, oh, okay, wait a minute. We haven't gotten that far yet, have we? That's where we started, yeah. So let me back up. Back up, Brian. All right. All right, I remember where I was. Here we go. I heard that. All right, here's actually where we're going. This is where we left off. I told you, as I was reading, we never got out of the clouds. So we're still in the clouds. So, okay, so... Uh, we were talking about, as we left off last week, how the Lord's going to meet us in the clouds. And I made my way to Matthew chapter 26, verses 63 through 74. But by way of review, uh, we were talking about uh, last week the uh, differences, distinctions between the second coming uh, at the rapture of the church when Jesus comes to pull the church up and take us out of here at the catching away and his return with the saints um, at the coming of Christ not for his bride, but his coming of Christ to establish his kingdom on the earth as the king of kings and lord of lords. And so uh, we we saw that the Lord led Israel in a cloud in Exodus 13, 21. Uh, Jesus was in a bright cloud in Matthew 17, 5. A bright cloud overshadowed them at the transfiguration. 
We see in Matthew 24, 30, which we saw uh, last week, we actually turn to Matthew 24, where Jesus is talking about the beginning of sorrows and the great tribulation and how uh, he, uh, he uh, will come with clouds there. And, uh, and so the clouds are an important benchmark. And, uh, and so um, we've also looked at a few other verses, which are not actually on the screen, which should be in your notes as well. Uh, and that led us to Matthew chapter uh, 26 is uh, the last is the next stop uh, on the uh, the verse list here. So Jesus tells the high priest. Uh, and now keep a finger if you've got your Bible open, which you should uh, keep a bookmark there in Revelation one because we will be back. Uh, but go ahead and turn back to Matthew chapter 26, uh, Matthew 26, because I want you to see these verses, not just hear me talk about them. Matthew 26, this is Jesus himself. And again, obviously this follows what's in Matthew 24 uh, in verse 30, uh, just a a couple chapters back uh, where Jesus says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That is not the catching away of the church. That is the second coming of Christ. And when Jesus is speaking to um, the high priest here, Matthew 26 and verse 63, verse 63 there toward the end of that chapter, uh, almost to the end, it says, But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, uh, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And so here, once again, the clouds are mentioned. Uh, Jesus promises uh, disciples he will return in the clouds. Just keep going. Go to Acts chapter 1. This is the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus has been with his disciples 40 days, and then he ascends in the clouds. And then on the 50th day, of course, that's Pentecost, and that is when the Holy Ghost ascended or descended, I should say, and filled the church. So in Acts chapter 1, what's on the table here is when the apostles are asking Jesus, hey, you know, when when are you coming back to set up your kingdom? And he said unto them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that ye have, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea, in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So they're on a need-to-know basis, right? This is what you need to know. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, and you are going to be witnesses um, everywhere. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, um, beheld, <clears throat> while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So he, he comes back the way he left. It was in a cloud, right? So he was caught up, and a cloud received him. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall uh, so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Which they should know because he's repeated himself over and over in his public ministry saying, I'm going to come back in the clouds. I'm going to come back in the clouds. I'm going to come back in the clouds. In the Old Testament, Jesus' mode of transportation is in the cloud. Uh, isn't that interesting? Today we use the term the cloud all the time. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about a spirit of Antichrist. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? So Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, 
which is obviously a, a key prophecy center for us, a hub of prophecy. If you're looking for it, go to Ezekiel and then go just past Ezekiel, you hit Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 7, it says in verse 13, I saw the, uh, in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now, we'll talk about that more next week, the Ancient of Days, because of the way this chapter concludes. But this is an important prophecy, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. We see that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days and... and uh, uh, and brought him near before him. So Psalm 104, another passage, says, Who who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters? Who maketh the clouds his chariot, and walketh upon the wings of the wind? So, of course, Jesus Christ, you go to the Mormon Center down in Independence, and they have this picture of some guy that looks like Errol Flynn in the clouds. And so that's Jesus, right? Uh, not really, but it's, it's, it's indicative of what Jesus will be, and that's in the clouds. Jesus is in the clouds. Uh, and he moves about on the clouds. Isaiah 19.1, the Bible says, The burden of Egypt, behold, the Lord rideth upon a swift cloud and shall come into Egypt, and the idols of Egypt shall be moved at his presence, and the heart of Egypt shall melt in the midst of it. <clears throat> and so that's an interesting prophecy, by the way, of Isaiah 19.1 uh, that gets that is, is, I believe, probably directly related also to his second coming. In its fulfillment. But nonetheless, he comes in a cloud. I'm not saying that. That's what the Bible says. He moves in the clouds. His chariot is the clouds. So he's able to, to move about. And so we, we, you know what? Some of this stuff, as we go through the Revelation, it's not hard to understand. It's just, it's just people don't believe it. It's just, well, I don't believe that. Well, you don't have to believe it. It's just, it's true. So now, this is the other side of that coin. At the second coming, Jesus comes back in the clouds. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, go back in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. This was the comparison, one of the main passages that we compare uh, the second coming against what's called the rapture of the church or the catching away of the church. In uh, 1 Thessalonians, I think I said second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, um, it starts in verse 13. I'm not going to read it all tonight. Most of you probably heard it. Uh, but when you get to verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, so we're looking at Revelation, and we see... That he comes with, with he cometh with clouds in verse seven, and uh, that's not that's not an accident. When we get caught up, we go up with, in the clouds, just like he was taken up in Acts one, uh, and a cloud received him. So guess what? A cloud's going to receive us, and then we will, we will return with him uh, in the clouds. So Revelation ten one, uh, and by the way, when we go up, nobody's going to know it. It's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to be at the last trump. We'll be out, but when we come back, every eye is going to see him. Okay, so we see, and we talked about all that last week. So we see things in heaven revealed with clouds. Now we're back in Revelation. Again, keep your finger there in chapter 1 and go back to chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10. And uh, he reveals things uh, with clouds. In Revelation 10 and verse 1, he says, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. 
All right, so God is revealing some things from the cloud. Revelation 11, 11, next chapter. Uh, he says this, it says, And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them. This is the two witnesses. Um, and they stood up upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. So here's a mid-trib rapture. And they ascended up in, in, up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. So here is, uh, here's a mid-trib rapture of the two witnesses going up in a cloud, and so after three days. So Revelation 14 and verse 14, um, this is a harvest of the earth. So if you go back to chapter 14 and verse 14, we'll talk more about that harvest, obviously, at a later time. But it says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like uh, unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And so he was a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat. So this imagery is like, well, what does it mean by that? Well, it, I just take it literally. It means what it says. There's people riding in the clouds, and the Lord returns in the clouds. We go up and we meet the Lord in the clouds. It's a great example of things that are not hard to understand. They're just hard to believe, you know, because we're like, well, how does that work? Uh, supernaturally, that's how that works. Um, and that's what the Bible says. And so, uh, so we behold the clouds. So that's something that God wants us to pay attention to. He's going to bring that up all the way through, well, it's all the way through the Bible, but specifically in regard to his appearing and the catching away, not only of the church, the catching away of the two witnesses. And of course, at the second coming of Christ, he returns wherever I can see him with clouds. And so clouds are part of his manifestation and it's also it's part of his covering. So it's kind of both. So, all right. So point C in your outline, um, Jesus is, as we look at Jesus's return, behold his hands and his side. Uh, that's another thing that we are to behold. He comes with clouds. We're to get a hold of that. We're to look at that semicolon and every eye shall see him. Um, all right. So he comes with clouds and catches us away. And then he's going to come in clouds and every eye is going to see him at the second coming. So in that semicolon, you have the tribulation period. And then they also uh, also which pierced him. Right. So who pierced him? That's a good question. Let's let's look at that. Uh, there's a tremendous picture here. And uh, let me there we go. Um, a tremendous picture here. Behold the, the picture. Now, um, in John, chapter 20, uh, in verse 26, if you go back there to John. <clears throat> you'll remember Thomas, right, in, in this in this passage. It, and this is this is interesting. So. You know, this is they're having the prayer meeting, Sunday night prayer meeting, and uh, they're in the upper room and Thomas doesn't show up. Right. And so um, in John chapter 20 and verse 19, we'll just pick it up. Then the same day at, uh, at evening being the first day of the week. So a Sunday night prayer meeting uh, when the doors were shut, where the disciples assembled for fear of the Jews and, the, and Jesus <clears throat> and, and I'm sorry, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. So he just shows up, boom, in the middle of the room, verse 20. And when he had uh, so said, he showed unto to them his hands and his side. Uh, then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them, again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so... Um, and so you, so he, you know, he encourages them and he encourages them with the uh, fact that he has 
them look at the, the holes in his hands and in his side. Now go down to verse 26. He says, and after eight days, again, his disciples were within. And I skipped over Thomas, but you guys know the story of doubting Thomas. Thomas was not uh, privy to what he wasn't wanting to be there because things didn't go down the way he wanted. He was his expectations were not met. So he was he was like, whatever, you know, except I see he, he offers up a prayer, by the way. Uh, and, and he says in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, hey, man, you need to come to church, dude. And he's like, well, uh, we've seen the Lord. God's at work there, right? We, we've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see his hands, uh, the, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, Thomas doesn't know it, but he's actually becoming a picture. Uh, he's becoming a picture of unbelieving Jews. And so uh, he says, you know what? When I can see this fella and I can actually put my hand, my finger in those holes and I can put my hand inside, then I'll believe. Right? When my faith is sight, you know, he's not having it. He's, still, he's got an attitude. Now, Thomas is, we call him Doubting Thomas, but he was full of faith. In John chapter 11, he was willing to die for Jesus. He's like, he's telling everybody, he's like, hey, let's go die like right now. Let's go lay down our lives. So this guy was no slouch, but he was disappointed in, in the outcome, right? Because like Peter, he probably was expecting Messiah to come back in a, in a Zechariah, you know, kind of fashion and split the Mount of Olives or something. He had a different concept of, you know, Jesus was telling him you'd have to die like a lamb, but for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't having it. And, uh, and so... Uh, like Thomas, Israel will behold the one they pierced. <clears throat> and by the way, we're guilty of, obviously, the blood of the Lord Jesus as well. But like Thomas, the condemned world will behold the one they pierced. And so you can see that in John chapter 20, 26 through 29, right? And after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. So he just, boom, appears. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And of course we know Thomas in verse 28 says, uh, Answered and said unto him, My Lord, my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Which becomes the bulk of the Gentiles that get saved and redeemed. Okay, so this fulfills a prophecy as well, which I have on the screen there. If you go back to Zechariah chapter 12, let's go back to Zechariah. And, uh, <clears throat> okay, we've got to go past Daniel to get to Zechariah. So hang on a second here. Obadiah. Hang on. Chapter 12, it's on page 1,152, so if you have an Oxford wide margin. <clears throat> so if you've gone to Malachi, you've gone too far. Just back up, two books back. Okay, so Zechariah chapter, chapter uh, 12 and verse 10 says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, 
and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This is important to comprehend because as Jesus is presenting himself to to John and the church here, and he's he's pointing out, not only do I uh, come in the clouds um, and 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 all of those things that we looked at, but I also uh, I have the holes to prove it, right? So this is going to be this is going to impact Israel, uh, and and specifically, obviously, we understand doctrinally our sins put Jesus on the cross, and and, and all of those things are absolutely true, but in the end times context, it's Israel that God is redeeming and, and reconciling, and it is important that they, as a nation, to this day, they do not recognize Jesus Christ as their Messiah. A few years ago, I was had the privilege of uh, of going up to the Holocaust Memorial up in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, before wokeism, you would go in the basement down there, and uh, you went down the steps, and right in the center, they had this this little, you know, display, and they talk about how it was the Romans, <laughs> those, those darn Romans that crucified, you know, Jesus, like we didn't have anything to do with that, you know, and uh, and of course, um, you know, that's what they were going to say. That's no longer in there anymore. They've gotten rid of that display. I was I went up there a few years ago hoping to find that again and uh they've now it's all they got a whole political agenda going through the whole thing it's a shame what they're doing with all that actually and so it's not nearly what it used to be but uh but nonetheless they basically if you go through it now and this isn't a political statement it just is what it is if you go through it now they they basically liken trump to hitler that's basically what the downstairs portion's about and so whether you love or hate trump it still misses the point so uh, so anyway, uh, so I, I, I was disappointed. But there was a time when down in the basement in, in uh, D.C. at the Holocaust Museum, uh, they would absolutely say, no, we did not pierce Jesus. That was the Romans, right? And, of course, that's half true. Uh, and I could say I pierced him too. But, but at the end of the day, the Scripture records in Zechariah, and it records that they did pierce him. Because ultimately for them to get right as a nation with the Lord Jesus, they're going to have to acknowledge that Jesus was their Messiah. And part of that is is him revealing what it cost, and that's him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So this is also uh, this this will also fulfill the prophecy of the angels in Acts chapter one and verse eleven, which also said, "Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go up into heaven." Right, so uh, it will be manifest that he is the Lord by the scars that he bears, and there's more to that, uh, and I'll get into that more next week as well. Um, I believe the holes in the hands and the side, but for now I'm going to just keep moving and just stay in the introductory mode. So let's talk about the coverage, like beholding his coverage. So in verse seven, we're still in verse seven. We got the clouds. We every eye will see him. Uh, right at the second coming, every eye is going to see him. At the catching away, it's going to be secret. There's a semicolon there, uh, and I believe that's there for a reason. And also, uh, they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. So we know uh, how every eye shall see him. Every eye shall see him. Um, That's what it says. All kindreds of the earth are going to see him. And so, you know, I used to say back in the day, um, you know, that... It'll be easy because CNN, Fox, ABC, and CBS, you know, that was, you know, that was like seven years ago, I would say something that crazy. Uh, but, you know, we all know now 
you're not going to need any news channels to see him, right? Uh, you know, in addition to astronomy, and astronomers will probably see him coming. But other than that, you're going to know because it'll be it'll be on X, it'll be on Twitter, it'll be on Instagram, it'll be on Facebook, it'll be on Snap Snapchat or whatever it is. And all, what, what what am I missing now? What's the new one? TikTok, yeah, TikTok. The Chinese might take that off, but anyway. So they, uh, it, but it'll be it'll be on social media for sure. Every eye's going to see him. Every eye's going to see him, and he's going to be coming back. Uh, and make sure to broadcast that, that, that this this cloud's heading our way. What is this? So note, this is not a secret catching away, but a very public return that is distinctly different than the first fruits of the resurrection uh, in Matthew twenty five fifty two. So it says there, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints uh, which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. It's distinctly different from the catching away of the saints mentioned in 1 Thessalonians four thirteen through 18, which marks the beginning of, of the day of the Lord, that harvest. This day uh, is a day that everyone will see the Lord and know who he is and why he is returning. And as a matter of fact, the, the, all kindreds are going to mourn, it says. They're not going to be going, yay, this is, the, this, is my, uh, this is Titus. This is the, the blessed hope. They're going to be going, oh, no. Ah. Uh, some will even shake their fist and want to fight. Unbelievable, but true. We'll get to that later as well. So each of our four views of Revelation will note this return as the four Gospels note the death, the burial, and the resurrection. We covered that a couple of weeks ago in the introduction. In Revelation, and I didn't put that in the, in the notes up there, did I? So uh, just for your notes, we covered this in the introduction, but just Revelation 6.17 Revelation 8, 17 and 19, Revelation 15, 17 through 21, and Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Those all lay together as the second coming of Christ. That's the major event of, of really the book. Behold what's going to happen. Jesus Christ is returning. That's what's happening uh, in this book. It's going to be amazing. And so let's behold the accuracy of Scripture as well. Now we're finally moving out of verse 8. And uh, he says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So we know how every eye shall see him. Uh, but now look at the accuracy of Scripture. When John wrote this, he was on the Isle of Patmos between 90 uh, to 95 A.D., or some say 96. But Israel had been dispersed for 30 to 35 years uh, when this had happened historically. So the small Isle of Patmos was about seven and a half miles long from north to south and it's at its widest at six miles from east to west it's the northernmost island of the uh i think it's called the dode dodecanus um d-o-d-e-c-a-n-e-s-e which is an area of 13 square miles and a circumference of 25 miles of uh, volcanic islands uh, that present a large rocky and treeless landscape this is a tough place to be and uh, in 1870, uh, or I'm sorry, 1,870 years had to pass between Titus in 70 A.D. and Israel's return in 1948. And John was able to see these events that the world would not see for at least 1,850 years from the time of his writing. And that's quite amazing when you think about it. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, you know, that's, that is an incredible, an incredible thing. Uh, he is writing about Jesus' return and fulfilling prophecies 
of a nation that won't be pulled back together again for 1,800 years. That, that's miraculous. I mean, the, Bible's, the Bible we have, it's, it's, it's a God-ordained book. Don't doubt it. Um, <clears throat> and because it's God's book, and he's almighty. But you also see this judgment that's coming. Behold Christ's judgment. All kindreds, there at the end of verse 7, or verse 8, uh, no, verse uh, 7. All kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And it's just that's just not what you think about when you think of Jesus, is it? Because yeah? we live in an age of grace. But I tell you what, if he's not your advocate, he's your judge. He's not your propitiation. Man, you're in trouble. You're going to have to stand uh, without any covering, without any intercession. So behold Christ's judgment. All kindreds wail. Not uh, the contrast between Revelation 1, 3, and 4 written to the church. Now remember what we get. Just so, because a lot of people get tripped up over this. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this, pro- of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you. What do we have? Beloved, we have grace. We have grace be unto you. And peace, what do we have? We have peace that passes understanding. Right? From him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. So don't misunderstand this. This is You can get tripped up on end times before you ever get out of the first chapter. All kindreds are going to wail. Oh, no. I'm in, I'm in the bullseye of God's wrath. No, because he died on the cross for our sins 2,000 years ago, you're not, because our wrath was taken upon him. But all kindreds are going to wail. Very clearly. Uh, and again, my own testimony is reading this without Jesus as my advocate and my propitiation, realizing that as far as I was concerned devotionally, I didn't know that's the context I was in, but I literally was in the crosshairs of God's wrath. This book is what helped get me saved. So uh, so this is written to the church. Uh, Revelation 1-7 is referring to folks that aren't in the church. So we receive grace and peace and comfort. The world receives wrath from God. Now, keep your finger there and go to Colossians chapter 3. And I've got the verses up there, so you got time to get there. I'm not going to tarry too long uh, for time's sake. Um, so Colossians chapter 3. Now, of course, Colossians is an epistle written to us, right? Laodicea, one of the few places, it's in the marginal notes of Timothy, and it's in Colossians chapter 2 that the, the, the word Laodicea is addressed, if you're familiar with the seven churches. So, Colossians chapter 3, in verse 1, the Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, <clears throat> seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So at the second coming, you come with him. Right? You've got to be there. If you're going to return with him, you've got to be there with him first. Right? Um, so when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which things, uh, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. 
Now, notice what he says in verse 7. You could go to Ephesians 2 and see a similar line here. In the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Why not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And, of course, we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. And so the wrath of God abides upon the children of disobedience. Uh, that is exactly what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. The children of disobedience will be judged. There's also not all just all kindreds, but all authority is mentioned in this passage as well. There's the word all back in our text in Revelation uh, chapter 1. He says, um, um, every eye shall see him, and we're referring to his second coming, which uh, they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth wail because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the All-Authority, right? All authority comes from him. He is the Alpha, the Omega. He is the final word in the Greek language, the Alpha, or in the alphabet, Alpha is the first letter. Omega is the end. It's the like A or A to Z. He is, he is everything, He's the first and the last. He is the only way, the truth and the life. He's the beginning and the ending. He is the eternal God. That which what what that which is, which was, and is to come. He's omniscient. He's all knowing. He's omnipresent at all times. He is almighty, as he says there, all powerful. And so uh my marginal notes say nine of ten mentions of Almighty in the Bible in Revelation. And so uh, he has got all power. Jesus is the Almighty. He's only mentioned nine times. Uh, uh, Jesus is Almighty, only mentioned nine times in the New Testament. Eight of the nine are found in Revelation. The only other mention is 2 Corinthians 6.18 where it says, And it will be, he will be a father unto you, and, he shall, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. All right, so that, that completes our time through verse 8. So let's look at verse 9. And talk a little bit about John's relocation, right? So we've seen Jesus return uh, both for his church and then at the second coming. We'll talk a lot more about that as we go. But let's look at John's relocation. In verse 9, John speaks here and he says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that's called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia and Ephesus and unto Smyrna and the Pergamos and the Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. So John has this relocation. Uh, John did, uh, he did very hard time here on earth. If you read the account in Fox's Book of Martyrs, they say that he was boiled and he wouldn't die. God just kept him alive. Uh, that's traditionally what they, they say. And, and Domitian put him on this island, uh, which is where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. So John did hard time on earth. That's very clear in verse 9. He, was, uh, he is uh, John who is uh, your brother and companion in tribulation. He knew and understood tribulation and the kingdom of patience of Jesus Christ. So John did hard time on earth. God allowed an aged apostle 
to have to spend time on the Isle of Patmos. At the time John was transported to the future, he was sentenced by Domitian of, uh, Domitian of Rome. So today you can travel to the Isle and see where John lived in a cave. And they'll probably charge you for that. But anyway, God allowed the circumstances so he could, he could get that disciple alone. And uh, one of the, the promises that we have as Christians is that we, are, uh, uh, that we are allowed an opportunity to experience the pain and tribulation of the ministry of Jesus Christ if we're godly, right? So being godly affords you the opportunity to suffer for Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and that's the way we should look at it, of, of which most of us Americans don't. But at any rate, turn over to Acts chapter 14, and uh, I must have another slide. Okay. John's relocation. I got slides here I know not of. Isn't that beautiful? As you're turning to, to John chapter, uh, or uh, not John, Acts chapter 14. Acts 14. So there's a, just a couple slides there. That's where Patmos is located. Uh, there in the, that'd be the uh, Aegean Sea, just, uh, you know, in between Greece there and, and Turkey, modern day Turkey. <clears throat> And so here's a look at it today. Yeah, ready for vacation. All right. Looks pretty good today. This time of year in Missouri, that looks really good, doesn't it? It's probably not quite as nice today over there. But uh, at any rate, so Acts 14, verse 21, um, <clears throat> when we uh, come to this passage, uh, we see here that... Uh, says, and when he had preached the gospel to, the, to that city, um, Barnabas was at Derbe. It says here in verse 19, and there, there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium to persuade the people having stoned Paul. They drew him out of the city, supposing that he'd been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to, to Derbe. So Paul knew what it was to suffer. And when they had preached the gospel to the to that city, and had taught many, uh, they returned again to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Now I read that to you because it's important to understand that these are promises to New Testament Christians. You say, yeah, Brian, but that's a transitional book and. And, you know, God's still calling Jews and all of that, which is, is there's truth to all of that. But go over to Second Timothy, chapter three, Second Timothy, chapter three. Second Timothy three, ten, the Bible says here, and many of you know this passage, we were just actually uh, teaching this a few weeks ago on uh, Sunday night. Um, verse 10 says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Then he says in verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which we were just reading about, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. And then verse 12, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution so in acts 14 we see it uh, he's dealing with um uh tribulation that he faced there uh in in second timothy it's persecution and and dealing with uh, long suffering and all the persecutions and afflictions that come 
But the reality is for Christians, most Christians, I literally was, and I can't even tell you too much about the details because I don't want to get people in trouble. But today I was just literally corresponding with brothers um, in other countries. And I will say the country of India. I won't tell you the brother. Uh, where and they're sending me video clips of 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 uh, radical Hindus climbing up on top of their churches and and mounting flags to Ram the God because Prime Minister Modi dedicated the temple to Ram. They just tore down a not just last year they tore down a mosque in the northern part of India and they built a new brand new temple to Ram. If you're not familiar with this, so this this week President Prime Minister Modi comes out. This is not a political statement, by the way. This is just a fact. You can look this up. I'm just reporting the news. I don't make it. And so he comes out and he states to everybody that, hey, uh, Ram's going to rule in India for a thousand years. So just get used to it. I'm just I'm paraphrasing it. But that's I read the article myself. And in essence, that's my summarization of what he said. Ram's Ram's the god of India. We're Hindus. You know, deal with it for the next thousand years. We're going to have a Hindu revolution, you know. And then a few days later, I'm getting, you know, here comes the Hindus climbing on top of the churches. And at least they weren't killing anybody yet. But, you know, it's just, guys, it's a tough world out there. There's tribulation going on and persecution uh, before the catching away of the church. Because those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. What a glorious thing it is to suffer for Jesus. Our hope is in the fact that, that out of all our tribulation, the Lord will and has delivered us. And so there's no sense in fretting it because if God calls you to it, he'll get you through it. Um, and so, of course, no, no, nothing like that is joyous at the time being. But like Jesus, for the joy that's set before you, he endured the cross, despising the shame, of course, but looking forward to the resurrection. So one of the reasons we have to go through a book like the book of Revelation is to remember our hope is in Christ and that we actually he's already redeemed us from the wrath to come. And so for us, eternities began. And even if I was just, I'm teaching church history uh, at the same time as teaching this. So I got, I'm kind of got blending things going through my head. But I was just, just remembering uh, one of the quotes. Um, who was I reading on, uh, uh, hang on just a second, it'll come to me. Um, I believe it was, I don't remember the, which church fathers in the first, within the first 200 years of the church. It was either Irenaeus or perhaps it was Polycarp. I, I can't remember which one of the men that was, was uh, martyred. About 80-some years, 86 years old. This particular church father, they have a date on it, uh, which they don't always have a good date. This one, they have a good date on it so they can tell you when. But basically, it's recorded. And, of course, we don't have a good record of anything in 200 A.D. But uh, it, it is basically that he said, look, um, uh, and I'm paraphrasing this, but uh, I'm, I'm an old man. You know, and whatever you got to do, come and do it because I'm going to be in glory soon. So, you know, bring it on, buddy. You know, and then so they did. And then there's all kinds of stories about how the fire went out and they couldn't. And, you know, all this. I don't know if all that happened or not, but but these guys were ready to go to heaven. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And uh, and because they knew that it was just a short season and man, they're going to be in glory. So, you know, bring it on. And so, you know, the only thing that makes the tribulation of this life joyable is the revelation of Christ in our midst, right? In our midst. Christ is in the midst of the seven churches. Now, I know I'm skipping to the end, but that's important to remember. Christ is in the midst of the seven churches, and he promised that he would be with us until the end of the world. Lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the world. So Jesus Christ is not leaving us. He's in us of a truth. So uh, here's a practical application. The place that God wants to use you is the place that you are at. 
So don't worry about where he wants you to be. Do that which God has saved, uh, what God has saved you to do, no matter where you are, right? And and just be be serving Jesus in the moment. Don't worry about oh, am I going to be martyred or oh, is this? Don't worry about that. Just be the best Jesus you can be right where you are. And if God calls you to it, He'll get you through it, even if that means taking you home to heaven. That's called walking by faith, not by sight. And so one of the great things we can do, this is very practical, I'm in this vision mode for our church here in January. As we go into this coming year, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. There already is a lot of uncertainty. One of the greatest things that we can offer our community practically as we go door to door and adopt a street or we're at work or we're at school or wherever we are, we're talking to our neighbors across the fence uh, or we're doing something or we're engaging in, in commerce, whatever, man, is just have hope. Just know that, hey, yep, I don't know what's going to happen to the Constitutional Republic. I, I, I don't know, but I know this. I know Jesus. You know, I know I know this, that no matter what God brings uh, or allows, uh, it's going to work out for good. Romans 8. I got Romans 8 on that. Not even death can, can sting me, man. I'm I'm more than a conqueror. I mean, just, just bring in that reality. That's a reality. That's not just a hopeful attitude. That's the truth. And living that out. Now, I, I know as I say that, we I need that encouragement myself. So if I need that, I know you guys need it. Because you're being constantly pounded. You're being constantly pounded. Or you're trying to escape reality. Either you're tuned into what's going on and it's depressing. Or you're trying to get away from what's going on and you're ignoring it. But the thing is that what Christians got to do is get that Colossians chapter 3 mindset. Where we're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. My affections are set on things above. I know that this is written to me, and I've got grace, and I've got peace, and man, you know what? It is going to get bad. And you know what? I'm I'm willing to take whatever it, it, it brings to get people saved. You know, I was just talking to, to the HBI class last night. You know, I don't care what your view of the border is, and open, I mean, most of us would say don't open a border and let terrorists come across, because that could be damaging to your nation, right? But on the other hand, let's go take them the gospel and overthrow whatever's planned by the devil, let's just overthrow it for Jesus. Wouldn't that be good to bring in 10,000 new members of the church? 10,000, 10 million, 7 to 10 million. The, the numbers are out there because we don't really know how many. But wouldn't it be great to win every single one of those folks to Jesus? And man, that would expand the kingdom of God. That would definitely overthrow uh, whatever powers that be, uh, have whatever designs there are. And who really cares? Let's just do what God told us to do, which is meet people where they are at the gospel. To do that, to do that, you've got to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness. And let all the other things come after that. Now, I'm not telling anyone here not to be a patriot. I'm pretty patriotic. I'm saying that. I say that as much for me as I do for you. But what you can't do is let the devil overthrow God's purposes, right? Because that's really the only solution. You know, Hitler didn't have a final solution. His was death. Ours is life through Jesus Christ. And so we have to be about that business because if we are not about the business of life and through Jesus Christ, nobody else is going to. I guarantee you the UN isn't going to do it for you. Uh, there ain't no federal program that's going to do it. The only people that are actually empowered enough to overcome tribulation is us. And persecution, who grows when persecution comes? The church, right? So, I mean, that's why it's supernatural. That's the way God designed this. It's beautiful. God's awesome. So he truly gives us the ability to overcome these things supernaturally because of the grace and peace that he affords us because he is in our midst. Okay.
So I got to quit preaching and get back to teaching because I got to wrap this thing up. So, so John was on the Isle of Patmos doing hard time, and uh, and then he gets this relocation going on. So uh, where did I leave off at? So, um, yeah, the only thing that makes uh, the, the tribulation enjoyable is the knowing that Jesus is with us. So here's the practical application: uh, the, the place God wants you to be is the place that you're at. So God may place you in Patmos, right? He may put you in some prison. Now, that's not really a bad, that's some castle there, but we'll just say for now that's a prison um, on Patmos. Well, then you know what? That's, what? that's what you do is you do hard time there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in, that, in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, through, uh, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through a manifold temptations, the trial of your faith being much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's First Peter 1, 3-7. And so God wants uh, to add gold to our account. And the way to get it is to burn off the dross. So, and God forbid, you know, we, we want to avoid persecution, but you know what? That may be God's way of actually purging off some dross. And so you'll, you'll meet for the refiner's fire and praise God for it because it's not only going to benefit you, it's going to benefit the glory of God at his return, according to Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. And you know what? If our mindset can't get around that, we know it. Why? Because our minds are not right. And that's why we have to get in the Bible. That's why we have to study God's word. And we have to realize that, you know what? Something has changed in the church in the last couple hundred years, the mindset. And so uh, we got to get back to the word of God and be this, the people God saved us to be so we can do that which God has called us to do. Okay, point B. So what happened? Well, John hears this trumpet. Uh, he did hard time on earth. I think you guys got all that, right? And then John heard a trumpet. So John heard the trumpet in verse 10. <clears throat> I, was on the, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. So this is the thing. We don't want to look for signs, but we want to listen for the sound of the trumpet. Now, this is really important in the last days. We are not Jews and we are not uh, to be caught up in signs. Uh, though they do reveal the Lord's seasons to the Jews, we have the truth of Scripture to guide us. It's not that the blood moons are irrelevant, but God's signs and times is what we're really uh, is what we are already we already know are going to occur. So, practically speaking, don't miss the opportunities. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, uh, and so now I, he's not really talking about Sunday. But don't miss Sunday, by the way. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together on the first day of the week. He's really talking about the second coming of the Lord. But if you're not ready for that yet, let's just talk about Sunday. Make sure you're in the spirit on the Lord's day, right? And so, uh, but also note that the second coming is the Lord's day. The day of the Lord, the second coming is the day of battle. In the battle, what do you hear? You're going to hear trumpets. You're going to hear there's going to be troop movements. And so God is, he has actually uh, taken John to a place that he is in, the, he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He has been transported through time and space as he hears the voice 
a great voice as, of course, remember, as and like, as of a trumpet. And so Revelation 4.1 reveals that the Lord will sound a trumpet and the church will be moved to meet him in the air. When we go to chapter 2 or chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, And after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was as if it were a, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And so at this time, uh, John is already caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day. And uh, this is confirmed uh, in the New Testament that there will be a trump blow and we will be caught up in, in the spirit. It says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. Uh, that is that mystery of the that whole chapter deals with the resurrection. And when you get to verse 52, it tells us that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, less than a second, uh, at the at the last trump. And we're not talking about President Trump, by the way. Uh, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Also, I've already read First Thessalonians 4:16, which tells us the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. So when he blows the trump, when this voice is, is uh, moved, uh, souls move with it. Uh, the trumpet is critical, by the way, to God's troop movements uh, in the tribulation period. And so we go up with the trump, and I believe we'll come back with the trump. All right, so also we're going to see uh, that John, not only did John hear a trumpet, but John receives an assignment while on location saying, uh, so what's this trump saying to him? This trumpet is saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia and in Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and unto Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and unto Laodicea. So John heard the trump, but he's, he's not looking for signs. He receives this assignment while on location there. And he send this, put this in writing and give it to the seven churches. So the, the command is to write what you see. So John was transported through time uh, to the future, and he was describing what he saw. Now, how would you describe things that you have never seen before, if you've never seen them, right? Well, that's kind of difficult, isn't it? And so some of the imagery that we see in, in Revelation, it is certainly difficult sometimes to comprehend, but is known less accurate or true. And again, take the Bible literally until you can't. Right? And so obviously there's some imagery that we'll be seeing in the book of Revelation as uh, John was writing with the vocabulary and the, and the understanding that he had and the language that he had. Uh, but at the same time, he's writing what he actually saw. He was transported uh, into the future. The commandment is also not just to write, but to send what you write to the seven churches. And those are the historical churches in Asia. So literally those seven churches... Um, uh, will receive this these, this epistle, which they did. And I want you to consider that, and we haven't gone through yet, but probably some of you have read ahead. When you look at chapters 2 and 3, uh, we're talking less than 100 years have gone by. Uh, we're talking about the same thing. Uh, Mary's in HBI, so we just talked about this yesterday um, in our class. But less than 100 years has gone by, and there is already problems in the church. It doesn't take long, right? The devil, you know what John said, the spirit of Antichrist has already work right there is a constant battle between good and evil between god and the devil and you know where that 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 ground zero is if one thing you learn 
is up until the catching away of the church, where are you going to find the battle raging the hardest? It's going to be in the church. Because this is the last, this is it. This is where Jesus Christ is residing. Obviously, he's in us individually because our souls are sealed to the day of redemption. But, but outside of that, I mean, God collectively works through the church. We need each other, right? We're, we're 1 Corinthians 12. We got to do, we got to be together to accomplish God's mission, God's power for, for God's glory by God's grace. And so it's the church of the living God until we get out of here. And when we get out of here, what's going to happen? Revelation chapter 4 <laughs> through 19. That's what's going to happen. It is not pretty. You can just take a look right now at society as rationalism has grown into this irrational, uh, uh, this irrational application, right, where there is no absolutes, there is no absolute morality, there is no absolute anything, there is no, therefore there is no God, you are God, or whoever's running the show is God, whatever, however you want to roll with that thing. And then what happens with that? It decays society. And you can call a man a woman, you can call good evil, you can do whatever you want to do. And that turns into, ultimately, anarchy, which is what the devil likes. All right, so what's standing in the way of that? Well, i got news for you, beloved. You are. You are salt. You are light. You are the pillar and ground of the truth. And God uses the church in a mighty way. And that's why what was written was given to the churches. He didn't say, go take that to the, to the, the, the Senate in Rome, right? No, he says, take that to the seven churches. And those churches were struggling. Some were doing good, some were doing bad, some were lukewarm, right? They, they had, and this is the first century. They had the same problems in the first century that we have today, by the end of that first 100 years. And so that in itself is educational. John had an assignment. Write down the, what, you, what I've given you and then take it to the churches. And then, of course, by God's grace, those seven churches also represent 7,000 years of church history, or 7,000, seven uh, church ages throughout the last 2,000 years of church history. That's what I should have said. And, and man, uh, guys, somehow to this day, to this day, January 24th or 3rd, what is it today? 24th, 2024, guess what God has delivered to us? He's delivered us the revelation of Jesus Christ in a written form and brought it to this church, Heartland Baptist Fellowship. Why? So that we can read this thing. That's what it says. There's a blessing to Heartland because we're reading this book. There's a blessing to Heartland because we hear the prophecy of this book. And there's a blessing to Heartland when we keep it. Right? When we hold fast to the faithful word as we've been taught. Uh, it is amazing uh, that, that, that he got this assignment and that uh, he got this revelation of Jesus Christ. So the commandment is to send what is written to the seven churches. And uh, those historical, literal churches uh, uh, obviously also represent seven church ages. And here we are tonight. And by God's grace, may we overcome. Because in the, even in Laodicea, in Revelation chapter 3, when he talks to, the, to that lukewarm church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Verse, this is verse 20. If any man... What do you got to do? Well, what it says in the introduction, hear my voice. What else do you got to do? And open the door. I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I would encourage you to open up your Bible devotionally. Not your, not your phone app. 
But sit down at your kitchen table, your den, your, your, your truck seat, at, at wherever it is where you got to get alone with God and open the door, man. Open up that Bible. Nothing wrong with apps. I use apps all the time. So I use computer Bible stuff all the day long. That's not what I'm saying. But there is a certain blessing, guys, to just taking the black and white ink and paper and opening up the door. I was just talking to my daughter about this. We were actually talking about a passage, and I opened up the door, and I opened up my Bible with her. And, man, I tell you what, it opened up more discussion. It was unbelievable uh, because there were thoughts that I had recorded in my margins, frankly, that I had forgotten in my brain. And once I started running those references, next thing, we have this great Bible discussion. Why? Because I opened the door. There's just something about sitting down with your Bible. I mean your Bible. Now, I don't want to be too freaky about this paper stuff. But at the end of the day, guys, there's a day when you may not have access to your app. It does you well to have a Bible. And more and more, as we see the Lord's appearing, it's no accident that God has given this church an actual opportunity to take what is written and preserve it in written form. Because you never know when the apps are going to go away. Or the particular KJV app begin, gets deemed as, uh, what is it? Not gender you know, friendly. Hate speech, whatever. And that has to go away. You know, can't be supported any longer. Well, guess what? When that happens, you better have a Bible. And if this gets taken out of your hands, where else does it need to be? It needs to be in your heart. Let's hide the word of God in our heart. Anyway, I'm done with my outline. So that's it for next week. We'll get together. We'll talk about Jesus' revelation in verses 12 through 18 and John's responsibility in verses 19 and 20. Um, And so uh, by God's grace, Jesus is invited into our worship and the doors are open and uh, there is boldness uh, because we are are reading and hearing and uh, obeying the words that God has given to us. All right, any questions tonight? This gives me a couple minutes. Any questions you guys have about what we've covered thus far or what have you? Or adopt a street, it doesn't matter. No questions, really? No questions? Comments? Confusion? I know I'm not doing that good a job. Oh, okay. Speak for yourself, brother. <laughs> well, you're Second Thessalonians chapter two. Yes, that is so. Uh, Bob's point is he that who now letteth will he let till he be taken out of the way. There's debate on who that is, but Bob says that's us, and I would agree with with that. Yes, sir. Let's get this on recording. Second Thessalonians chapter two. I will tell you this about Second Thessalonians two. Don't let it define everything else around it. You got to take it in the context of the rest. Is that is that on? Yeah, it's on. Okay. I have a question about um, not exactly what we were talking about tonight, but I think it is related. Um, and we are wondering if the Antichrist knows who he is or does the Spirit come upon him as the Antichrist? Does he know? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, I don't know. Let me ask him. No, I'm just kidding. I uh, years ago I was looking for the Antichrist for real. I was uh, and I I came I stumbled upon this uh, uh, this bishop over in Europe, and I personally emailed him, <laughs> and uh, 
he ghosted me. But anyway, um, I don't think he was the Antichrist. But I, I wasn't sure at the time. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's a good question. Does the Antichrist know who he is, and or does he? Okay, so we'll get into this later. But in a nutshell, did Judas Christ, Jude, Judas, Judas Christ, did Judas know who he was? And I believe he did. Um, and Jesus knew who he was as well. Uh, but again, Satan entered Judas, and Satan will enter the Antichrist as well. So yes. So in Revelation six, when he enters the scene as a, on a white horse, does he know he's nefarious? I believe he does. Um, based on the prophecies, and where do I get this? Well, and that's a, that's a better. When I when I look at, um, I think it's Psalm. There's some prophecies about about the Antichrist. Um, as an example, I'm looking for where that's at. Um, it's the same one that it's probably Psalm 111. It's the same one that's quoted in Acts when it talks about Matthias taking his bishopric. What is that? 109? Psalms 109. In the chapter, oh, here it is, yeah. His mom, right. So when you look at that, um, so if I just take Psalm 109, this is the evidence I have from the scripture, which is a prophecy about the Antichrist. I'll just start at the top. Hold not thy peace, O God, uh, my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, right? Because Jesus loved them and he became the adversary. But I give myself unto prayer. So he's going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 5, Psalms 109. And they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Then it specifically, he says, verse 6, Set thou a wicked man over him and let Satan stand at his right hand. Uh, when he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. Now, this is directly, verse 8 is directly attributed to Judas in Matthew or in Acts chapter uh, 1, um, when Matthias takes on the bishopric of, of uh, Judas Iscariot. And his bowels, and by the way, he, he falls down, he's hung, he hung on the tree, and he, his bowels gushed out. All that's mentioned in Acts. If you keep reading this prophecy, it says, uh, let the, his children, um, well, verse 8, let his days be few, let another take his office, which is Matthias, let his children be fatherless, and his wife a widow, let his children be continually vagabonds and beg, let them seek their bread uh, also out of their desolate places, let the, the extortioner catch all that he hath, and let the strangers spoil his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy unto him, neither let there be any to favor his fatherless children. I mean, there's something really wrong with this fellow. Uh, let his posterity be cut off, and in and, and, and the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Let the iniquity of his fathers be uh, remembered with the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. And verse 14 is the other side of that coin. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. 
Okay, so what I'm saying here is that the Antichrist is not just some dude. So like you read John MacArthur's book on the 12 apostles and you read about Judas. I think uh, with all due respect to Brother MacArthur, he ain't, he ain't scratching the surface of who Judas Iscariot was in his book. He's like, oh, he's just some poor guy that got off track. And no, he's not. He's the son of perdition, clearly defined in the New Testament. And so um, so I do think there's probably uh, he knows what he's up to, knows what he's doing, um, and fully committed to that. And I don't know. You know, Roman, this is one thing I also know is Romans uh, tells me this. And I and I this is for my own edification, but I'll share it with you about. And again, it's good to know his parts, his coming proportion and all of that, you know, Leviathan in the book of, of Job. So we should know those things. But I will tell you this, and I'm not saying this just to get out of. I am kind of saying this to get out of talking further about Judas because there's things that it's not going to edify us right now talking about. And there's no need to get into. But uh, one of the things I would say is is Romans 16 and verse 19 for your obedience has come abroad unto all men i am glad therefore on your behalf but yet i would have you to be wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil so there's a point in which i'm not really that encouraged in, in studying too many of the details about judas iscariot because he is the another name for him is the man of sin and so on and so forth so we can identify his parts his calling for portion we can look at uh, his composite, and before we're done with this study, I'll give you a composite of what he looks like and who he is and his Jewish background and all of that kind of stuff. We can identify a lot about him, and I'm certainly, yeah, I would say he's probably aware of what's uh, what's coming down the pike. But uh, it's all about power. And it used to be hard, you know, like, you know, in the 70s when I'm in my bathroom looking at my head because I watched Damien or whatever that movie was, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are catching what I'm talking about, but you should never let little kids watch that movie. You know, they're all going to think they're the Antichrist. You know, it's a mark on my head. Uh, that's literally happened to me. You know, I wish someone would have had the gospel for me then. I'd probably gotten saved. But anyway, uh, you know, so you got all of these. Was that There was a movie out, too, about the conception, Rosemary's Baby or something, you know. So there's all kinds of stuff out there. And. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you could never really conceive, how is this all going to come about? But what we know what's really true in the Bible is Judas. Nobody knew, even the disciples did not know. Jesus is the only one who knew that Judas was Judas. So this dude, he's not going to be somebody that everybody's pointing out going, oh, he's going to be the Antichrist. They're not going to see that. Um, I'm not saying there might be somebody that doesn't see it, right? But, I mean, at the end of the day, Judas did all the miracles. He did everything with it. He kept the bag. Everybody trusted him. He kept the money. I mean, he was the dude. And uh, and so I don't think anybody was thinking Judas was Judas. And so I think the same thing is true of the Antichrist. I do have friends that would say, oh, no, Brian, he is the Pope. Are you kidding me? The Catholics don't even like the Pope. Uh, he's not the Antichrist. <laughs> He'll be a smooth dude, and he'll have the answers for sure. Not enough answers to make all the Gentiles happy, of course, but he'll have enough answers to consolidate the power he needs to to get the party started in the first three and a half years. And Amen, transformed to an angel of light. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, so I think that my answer to your question is I do believe that he knows what he's doing. Um, I don't quite get all the, myself, 
some of the some of the things that I don't even want to get into in a group like this. But anyway, so, there's just a lot about Judas that that uh, he's not just your average dude. That's for sure. And uh, and so he'll be pretty smooth. But he's also not Satan manifesting the flesh until the keys of death and hell, until the earth opens and he gets in, and Satan actually indwells him and he has a fake resurrection. That's another part. We'll get into that as we go. So he is just a man, um, but he's not just a man, you know. So he's got a unique purpose, and he will find his place uh, in his own. He's in his own place now, and he will find his way to the lake of fire before it's over. But he's a unique vessel. So that's about all I got to say about him for now. We'll talk more about him. That's a good question, though. Oh, we're over time. So was you telling me that, or are you just getting tired back there? Okay. Thank you, Kaylee. She stands up. It's over. Stop. No. So thank you. You did get my attention, though, and I looked at the clock. So praise the Lord. All right. I didn't realize we were out of time. Forgive me for that. Let's, uh, let's stand together. You guys have been sitting a long time. Let's stretch our legs out. Get ready to roll. Go get your kids if you have them. Get the blood pumping. <laughs> and uh, make sure you read this stuff. Don't just come up and let me read it to you on Wednesday nights. Come in, make sure you're reading through the through this uh, text, and it'll help you kind of process it. It's a lot to get around. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to, to just study the book of Revelation. We thank you for uh, giving us this revelation of Jesus Christ. Thank you for John, who's a type of the church, Lord, and, and uh, how he gets taken up. We get taken up, how we have this information uh, that has been stewarded by the church for the last 2,000 years because it is written and you have given it to us. And, Lord, thank you also for that incredible promise, Lord, the grace and the peace that comes to the church through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for taking the wrath of God upon uh, yourself so we can be set free from that wrath. Thank you, Lord, for the things that we will see in the in this book. Lord, It is a, there is a blessing, Lord, to reading it, to hearing it, and to, to, to keeping the things of this book. So, Lord, I pray God... Uh, whether it's the, the book of Revelation or all 66 books, Lord, that we would just uh, hold firmly and fast to the word of God that you've given us. Thank you for it. Thank you for the Holy Ghost to teach us all things whatsoever you've said to us. Help us to continue to, Lord, some of this prophecy, we don't actually know exactly how it's going to work out, uh, but we do know that it, the Bible's true. And uh, what we don't understand, you've already got, you already clearly understand. So we think, we're thankful for that. We thank you for giving us uh, this time as a church body. We thank you for all those that are working with children tonight and those that are teaching in D2 and all of those things. We pray a blessing uh, on uh, all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. you